Good morning. I'm going to give you several selected scriptures today. So if you're taking notes, you're going to want to write those down and you're going to want to type those in. And I may keep your fingers kind of busy today typing different scripture references, but hopefully you'll be able to pull some nuggets today that help you not just in this moment, but in everyday life. I want to suggest to you today that God has so much more He wants to do in your life, wherever you're at on the journey. Uh, If you haven't made the decision to follow Jesus or you've been following Jesus for a while, I believe God has so much more He wants to do in your life. Do you believe that today? Amen. Amen. Amber and I have talked a lot about wanting to go to visit Israel. Anybody ever been? Okay, a few of you. Very good. I'm sure that it has changed the way you look at Scripture and the way you view Jesus and the narratives of the gospel. Amber and I have talked about going for a long time. We had an opportunity here a few years ago. Somebody said, hey, come go with us. It just didn't work out with timing. Well, this week I read a story of a guy named Johnny, and he and his wife went on vacation to Jerusalem. And unfortunately, while they were there enjoying the wonderful trip, uh, his wife passed away. And so the, the person there who was handling all of the arrangements and different things, obviously you can imagine the complexities of this, Uh, He said to Johnny, now you can have her shipped back home to the United States, and that'll cost you about $5,000. Or you can actually, we have arrangements, you can bury her here in the Holy Land for only $150. And yeah, (laughs) Holy Land, $150, $5,000 in her home. So Johnny thought about it, and he comes back to the person who's making the arrangements, the undertaker, and he said he would just have his wife shipped home. And much like you and I were just thinking, the, the undertaker asked him, wait a minute, you're going to spend $5,000 to ship your wife home when you can have her buried right here in the Holy Land for only 150 bucks." And Johnny said, yeah, I get it. I get it. He said, but I thought about it. And a long time ago, there was a man who died here and was buried here. And three days later, he rose from the dead. And I just can't take that chance. If you're wondering, that was wife approved. She didn't know I was going to share that. Hey, but the reality is last week we did celebrate the resurrected Jesus. We celebrated the cross. We celebrated his death and what he won through his death. We celebrated his resurrection and how it verified, it validated, if you will, everything that he'd done, everything that he said. We knew based on the resurrection that all of his claims were true. He said, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. And he did. And so we take everything else he said to heart as well. And I've noticed every year it seems to happen kind of the same way. We have Easter. We celebrate Good Friday and Easter. And then there's almost this uh, proverbial exhale. It's kind of like Okay, let's shift gears, let's kind of move to the next season, the unofficial start to the rest of the calendar for the year, right? Everything in the beginning of the year kind of feels like it leads up to that Easter weekend moment, and then afterwards it's like we kind of begin to shift gears towards uh, things like the end of the school year and graduations and graduation parties. We think a lot more about sports activities and kids needing to be in different places as the weather is changing. But if the resurrection hasn't been experienced, if the resurrection power, the person of Jesus, hasn't been experienced in our lives, then the truth about Jesus is doing nothing more than just occupying our headspace. It's one thing to know what Scripture says. Romans chapter 8, verse 11 says, The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. It's it's one thing to know that. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive and well in us. We've said that for a long, long time in the church world. But it's another thing to do more than just say it. It's another thing to experience the reality of the resurrection and to experience the reality of that power of Jesus at work in our lives in every day, in every area of our lives. Now, I have to be honest with you. I'm not sure I can put into words all I really want to say today, everything that's in my heart for you. 
I'm not sure that I can even in these few moments capture what all it means to live with resurrection realities in our lives. But what I do know is this. Jesus is much more than a familiar figure in history. Jesus is the one to know and to experience. He's much more than just a a historical figure that's familiar to us, the story that we could probably repeat to other people. He's the one that we are to know and to experience. And I said it earlier, I'll say it again. Wherever you're at on your journey with Jesus, I believe God has more that he wants to do in your life. He wants to reveal himself more to you. He wants to open your eyes more to his word. He wants to fill you to overflowing with his power. He wants to change every area of your life. He's concerned about everything that involves your life. And I believe this life and death and resurrection of Jesus is more than just a holiday. It's more than just a weekend we celebrate We want to live in resurrection reality. We want to live in that power of God in our lives. It starts with salvation. If you want to experience resurrection realities, it starts with salvation. Now, most of you probably know that. It it has to do with the forgiveness of our sin. There's nothing sweeter than knowing that you are a child of God, that you have been saved, that your sins have been forgiven There's nothing greater than knowing that you're freed from the power and obligation of sin. Now, you may not realize this, but before Jesus, Scripture would teach us that we are obligated or by default going to lean towards sinfulness, selfishness, pride, doing things our own way, not living according to the ways of God. We kind of live in this one circle we call the flesh, Later, we'll read a verse of Scripture that talks about the sinful nature. This idea that we all as human beings are born with this sinful nature, this inclination towards sin. But salvation is about God saying, not only am I forgiving you from your sin and dealing with the sin issue in your heart, but I am also freeing you from sin's power so that now you can live according to God's Word and live a different way of life. At salvation, we're giving a, given a new heart, a new life. And with that new heart, new life comes new desires. We don't want to just live for ourselves anymore. We don't want to do just what the world says do. We, we want to we walk with God. We want to do what God says. We recognize His ways are perfect and His ways are right for our lives. In salvation, we start this new journey with Jesus. We hear the gospel We know that sin is the problem and Christ is the cure. We recognize that Jesus is the only answer. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we come in humility. And we say, God, we're sinful people. And on our own, we have the inability to measure up to your perfect standard. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And we have need for the work of Jesus to be enacted or applied to our lives so that we can be forgiven, have right relationship with God, and live a new way of life, and on the way into eternal life. We come to this place of repentance. We don't use that word maybe as much as we should anymore, but repentance is more than just saying, I'm sorry. Repentance is doing a 180 degree turn. Before Jesus, I'm doing my own thing. I'm walking my own way of life. I'm making my own decisions. I'm even under the influence of the enemy himself to make, to, to make decisions and to live certain ways. But at repentance, I'm saying, Lord, I acknowledge I've sinned against you and I'm turning away from that life and instead I'm turning myself towards you and I'm going to follow Jesus I'm going to pay attention to his word. I'm going to be empowered by his Holy Spirit. And I'm going to live a different life than what I lived before Jesus. That's what what salvation is. It's the entry point or the the beginning of the journey uh, away from that former life and instead into new life in Christ, being committed to follow him and his ways. We talk a lot about the actual physical beams of a cross And oftentimes, we've heard it said through the years that if the vertical portion is correct, the relationship with God, then the horizontal portion of our lives will be better than it would be on our own. Our interactions with other people, how we live, if the vertical's right, the horizontal will be right as well. I want to focus more on the vertical today. 
Because what Scripture teaches us is that as we believe in Jesus, as we confess our sin and repent of that sin and make a decision to follow Jesus, we are saved, we are forgiven, we are now operating in a new power in our lives, we now have the promise of eternal life, and we're on a journey with Jesus. Salvation is the beginning of that journey. It's more than just what he's done for us. It's how we're responding to what he's done for us. We're making the decision to follow him. We make Jesus the center of our lives. We make him, his word, the center of our life. We pay close attention to him. We want to hear from him. We want to see what he wants us to know. We want to obey him. Salvation is the beginning or the starting point of journey with Jesus. Years and years ago when I was a kid, we, <clears throat> we did a lot of door-to-door evangelism. Anybody ever been door-to-door knocking on doors to talk to people? Yeah, a lot of you. Awesome. So if you've done that or street ministry, things of that nature, then you probably had a conversation similar to what I had years ago. You walk up to the door, you knock on the door, you have no idea who's on the other side or what they're going to say. They open the door and you start, at least years ago, we would start the conversation with, Something to the effect of if you, if you knew that this life was going to end for you today, are you prepared for that? Do you know where you'd spend eternity? Or have you experienced salvation? Do you have a relationship with God? Do you know Jesus? Some kind of question is kind of an entry point. So many times I can remember that door opening and I can remember asking those types of questions and the responses would be something like, yeah, I go to such and such a church. Or the response would be, yeah, I I was baptized in water at the age of 12 or 13. Now, neither one of those things are wrong. In fact, Jesus encourages us to plug into community in a local church. Jesus wants us to take a step of obedience to outwardly say that God is working in our hearts and lives, that we've been saved. We want to profess our faith publicly and say we've decided to follow Jesus. But in and of itself, church attendance and getting wet in the tank doesn't, Secure salvation. Those things alone are not salvation. They're more the outward evidence of that taking place. And so what I have found is that many people have been settled in their relationship with God to just experience that moment of salvation, that moment of a salvific prayer, that moment of saying, yes, Jesus, I confess my sins, but then they don't understand that salvation is just the starting point. That what... What God did by sending his son Jesus and what Jesus did by willingly laying down his life was to do more than just have the initial moment or to just have one event. Jesus died and brought freedom so that we could be on a journey with him experiencing resurrection realities in our lives every day of our lives. He he gives us the opportunity that salvation is the beginning of a relationship with God. A relationship with God. John 15 is probably one of my favorite teaching passages from Jesus. And in John 15, Jesus talks about being the true vine and that we are the branches and the Father is the gardener. And he repeatedly, and when something's repeated in Scripture, it's a good idea to pay close attention to what's being said. And in John 15, Jesus repeatedly says, probably one of three words in your different translations. Remain in me, or abide in me, or dwell with me, or in me. There's there's some kind of evidence that we are to not only have a moment with Jesus of believing for salvation, but we are to continue to believe. If you studied John with us recently through the gospel, you know that the word believe in the gospel of John used 98 different times was not just to initially believe, but it was about ongoing belief. My faith is constantly pointed towards Christ. And so in John 15, Jesus said, you are to keep going, keep being on the journey with me, remain in me, abide in me, live with me, do life with me. And there's some imagery in Scripture that kind of captures this. In the book of Revelation chapter 3, Jesus speaks to one of the churches and says, uh, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man will let me in, I will come in and I will sit and eat with them. It's this whole idea that Jesus is inviting us into an ongoing relationship, a friendship even, if you will, to sit down and to be together and to dine and dwell together. 
in Matthew chapter 5. It's the beginning of uh, the Sermon on the Mount, and we often call the first section the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are those who are, are uh, peacemakers, blessed are those so on and so forth. And in the beginning of that, just before those, those teachings began, the Bible says that Jesus went up on the mountainside and sat down. And that the disciples all came to him and listened to him teach. And I just get this picture of people choosing to go and sit with Jesus there on the side of that mountain and listen and learn and allow Jesus. If you'll notice, Jesus wasn't just concerned about doing miracles. Jesus was concerned in his earthly ministry about shaping the lives of his disciples. So oftentimes he would sit and shape their lives through his teaching. And Jesus is inviting us to do the same thing. It's the picture in Luke chapter 10 of Mary and Martha. Uh, Martha wasn't wrong to be preparing for people, to host people. She was a doer and she was a servant. But Jesus said Mary has chosen the even greater thing. And where was Mary? Mary was seated at the feet of Jesus, listening and just being with him and spending time with him. And that's the invitation that salvation brings. It's not just one moment. It's not just one experience. It's that God invites us into relationship with him, to sit with him, to be with him, to be a firsthand experience of the work of God in our lives. Salvation is just the starting point of a journey with Jesus. Scripture is filled with the idea that we can't fully comprehend how great God is, and we can't fully comprehend how much God really wants to do in our lives. I said it earlier. Wherever you're at in your journey, God wants to do so much more in your life. He wants to do so much more. Jesus didn't die and rise again just for you to get dressed up and eat deviled eggs once a year. Jesus died and rose again to bring you life to bring you freedom, to bring you strength and joy and peace and power and a work in your life that you could never do on your own. So I can't encourage you enough. If if you've never made the decision to follow Jesus, I challenge you to ask the questions. Explore faith. Explore scripture. Explore who Jesus really is and discover all that Jesus did, not just for everybody else, but for you too. Even next week, we're going to jump into a, a simple series but uh, with a simple question, but some in-depth conversation around some of the things people are talking about today. And we're calling it, Why Christianity? Because there, there's the premise that all roads lead to the same destination, all roads lead to the same afterlife. But why, why choose Christianity? Why follow Jesus over everything else that's taught in our world? Why does it matter so much? What is the proof of all of these things? And we'll walk through that together. And it's a good opportunity for Christians to be strengthened in why we believe what we believe. And it's a good opportunity for people who maybe have question marks and maybe haven't made a decision to follow Jesus to know more as to why this is true. When it comes to salvation, I can tell you, there's no promise of tomorrow. I, I used to, when I was a kid, I used to think that, um, that there were a lot of preachers who talked a lot about uh, uh, no promise of tomorrow, and they'd talk about what if, what if you walked out of here and something happened to your life, or what if you, what if you went out of here and there was a car accident, what if you went out of here and, and uh, things happen, are you ready for that moment? I used to think, you know, that's a good way to scare people into salvation, I guess. Uh, it's a good way to fear people into salvation, but the longer I've lived and the longer I've been in ministry, the longer I've recognized that appointment with death comes for everybody. That, that reality of eternity comes for everybody. And we have to be ready for that moment. We have to be ready because there's, there's no mulligan. I, I, I like to play golf for, you know, about the two weeks out of the year that I can. And uh, I like, <laughs> that was a joke. And uh, I like to play golf and, and uh, I like a lot of mulligans. Whoever I'm playing with, whoever wants to play golf with me, we're going to use a lot of mulligans. That just means I'm a bad golfer, okay? That's all that really means. But we're going to use a lot of mulligans. I like a mulligan, but when it comes to life, we only live this life one time. And what we decide about Jesus and what we decide about his claim of being the way, the truth, and the life and whether we follow him or not is going to determine what happens when we finish this life. 
Are we going to be with God for eternity? Or are we going to be separated from God? There is no promise of tomorrow. And there's joy in this life of being on the journey with Jesus. So I encourage you to be saved, to know the Lord, and let that be the beginning of the journey with Him. Because from salvation onward, then there's going to be more and more evidence of, re- of resurrection in your life. From salvation onward, the Holy Spirit will be at work in your life. Now, don't be alarmed if you come from a persuasion or a denomination or another church that, that this idea of the terminology of Holy Spirit kind of freaks you out. That you're like, okay, I knew something was going to be weird here. I always knew going to one of those Pentecostal churches it was going to be a problem. If that's you, I want to just challenge you. If you're a Jesus follower, the Holy Spirit's already been at work in your life. Let, let me show it to you. In Scripture, John chapter 16, verses 8 through 11, Jesus is preparing his disciples to ascend back to heaven. He's going to die on the cross. He's going to rise again, and for 40 days, he's going to appear to a number of people, even more than 500 at one time. And then he's going to go back to heaven. And this is what Jesus said in preparation for the disciples. John 16, verse 8. And when he comes, talking about the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. And judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Let me summarize what Jesus is saying here. How many of you got saved in a church service? Do you remember that moment? You remember that the the preacher preached a message and then at the end of it he gave an altar call, some kind of opportunity for response to say, hey, if you want to pray this prayer today, if you want to follow Jesus today, uh, this is what you need to do. I'll lead you in the prayer, so on and so forth. A lot of people have that experience. They got saved in a church service. Maybe you remember just before you responded, that pull, that tug, that moment of something stirring inside of you that said, I've got to respond to this moment. This, this is not optional. This is not negotiable for me. God's clearly trying to pull on my heart. That's what we're talking about when we talk about conviction or the Holy Spirit convincing people of their need for Jesus. It's not just an emotional experience. It's not based on some preacher coming up with some fancy message. It's based on the work of God drawing you and helping you see to open your eyes that you need Jesus, that sin is the problem, Christ is the cure, and that you need to respond and follow Jesus. So even before you get saved, the Holy Spirit is at work to bring you to Christ. So then the Holy Spirit actually does the work of saving you, the regeneration work, or as we would commonly refer to it as the the understanding of being born again. In John chapter 3, Jesus had a conversation with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a religious leader. He came to Jesus at night in the dark and quietly because he didn't want other Jewish religious leaders to know that he was really interested in Jesus. Nicodemus clearly realized that Jesus was more than just a mere mortal. He was more than just a man. He knew that there was a greater authority with Jesus, a greater power. And so he comes to Jesus to have a conversation. And Jesus tells him in John 3 verse 5, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Of course, Nicodemus, in his lack of understanding, was pretty confused. How can you go back into a womb and be born again from a woman? And Jesus said, no, 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 no. Human beings produce human life. Women give birth to physical babies. But the Spirit of God brings spiritual life. There is a moment when you're responding to Jesus that your life is changed and the Holy Spirit is actively involved in that salvation work. So today, if you're here and you say... I don't know about this Holy Spirit thing. That seems a little weird. That context for me is a little different. I just want you to know, if you're a Jesus follower, the Holy Spirit's already living in you and at work in your life. He's already here. He's already in you. And now that we're saved and we're on this journey with God, the Holy Spirit helps us to follow Jesus, keeps us pointed towards Jesus, and helps us to live more like Jesus. John chapter 14, pick up in verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you two key words here, another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. 
The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later, notice this, will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. So remember, Jesus is going to be ascending back to heaven. So he's trying to comfort disciples who the entire ministry of Jesus, they've been used to him being there in bodily form. And he's saying to the disciples, don't worry. I'm going to be going back to heaven, ascending back to heaven, but you're still going to have the help of the Holy Spirit. I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. Let's look at the two key words. The two key words, another advocate. There are two words in the original language for the word another in the New Testament. One means another of a different kind. The other word means another of the same kind. And Jesus used the word that means another of the same kind. So what was he saying? The Holy Spirit is like Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not separate from Jesus. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are together as one. And then he used the word advocate. And that word translates kind of big picture into multiple words that can be used to describe the work of the Holy Spirit. Comforter, encourager intercessor, counselor, and even the word helper. Literally meaning the Holy Spirit is one who is called alongside to help. So as we believe in Jesus, as we're being saved and beyond, the Holy Spirit is in our life, in our journey, to then help us to live as Christ wants us to live, to keep our focus on Jesus. Well, how does he help us? Well, first, the Holy Spirit comforts us. Jesus said, I am leaving you, John 14, 27, I am leaving you with peace of mind and heart. The Holy Spirit is referred to by Jesus as the comforter, and he helps that peace of God to rule in our hearts and minds through him. I don't know if you've watched the news lately. There's a part of me that hopes you haven't for your own mental health and sanity. But if you have, you know that our world's pretty crazy right now you know that there's a lot of question marks about a lot of things that are happening. Bombs are going off between Russia and Ukraine. China's no telling flying what over us right now. Who knows? There's, there's conflicts in multiple countries. The economy has a lot of question marks. The American dollar has been devalued in some ways, and the inflation continues to rise. we got all these different things going on, and there would be a temptation if our focus is on all the things happening in the world to not be full of peace, but instead to be full of anxiety and stress and worry and concern. The Holy Spirit works in the life of a Jesus follower to continue to produce that great peace in our hearts that says, even when everything's chaotic and crazy around me, it is well with my soul because I'm in God's hand. No one can pluck me out of his hand. He's going to take care of me. He's going to provide for me. He is my peace. And we're living in a day, and I would say probably going forward in our world, we're going to need the peace of God to be alive and well in us. And I mean, that's just the big things. That doesn't even cover the, the question marks that parents have in concern for their own children. That doesn't, that doesn't cover the concerns you can have day-to-day, -day, on a day-to-day -day basis with your neighborhood or, or with work or all these different situations. The Holy Spirit brings comfort and keeps us living in the peace of God so that we don't allow the situations to dictate what's going on in us. The Holy Spirit working in us helps keep us calm and peaceful even in the midst of some chaotic moments. We need the peace of God. The Holy Spirit helps us when it comes to the truth of God's Word. In John 14, 17, Jesus said that the Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. In John 14, 26, Jesus said, But when the Father sends the Advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit. Notice this, two things. He will teach you everything, and He will remind you of everything I have told you. Jesus went on to teach in John 15, 26, and in John 16, 13, that He's the Spirit of truth from the Father. He will testify about Christ, and He will guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is so wonderful in a Jesus follower's life that he will always guide us in alignment with the Word of God. I think about my oldest daughter who's 10. She'll be 11 in October. And uh, she brings home homework quite often. 
homework is this thing that's an assignment you have to do at home. Just making sure everybody still knows that these days. <clears throat> but that she brings home homework sometimes. And there's times that, that maybe she doesn't feel like she's getting it just right. i got to be honest, I'm, I'm doing okay with fourth grade homework. I'm a little concerned about what's ahead. But, but I'm, I'm doing okay with fourth grade homework. But I, I think about her sitting at the dining room table, and she's working through some different math things or different things. And, and I come and I kind of put my arm around her. Maybe she's getting frustrated. Maybe she's trying to figure out how to make sense of what she's doing. And I come and kind of put my arm around her and just kind of lean over her shoulder and try to help her and guide her through whatever that problem is to help to learn how to come to the right answer and then to work it out to get the right answer. And I imagine when I read John chapter 14, verse 26, the Holy Spirit being right there with us as we're reading the Word of God. And sometimes we, we maybe are struggling to apply it to our lives or struggling to understand it or trying to deduce in our lives, what is God saying to me? And I just imagine the Holy Spirit kind of leaning over our shoulder sometimes and taking the finger and just kind of pointing out on the page of Scripture and showing us what God's trying to say. I don't know if you've ever had that moment when, when you're reading a passage, maybe even for the hundredth time, and all of a sudden something just almost leaps off the page at you, something you didn't see before. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's him kind of shining a light, if you will, on those pages of Scripture for us to see what God is saying to our lives. But here's the beauty of it. How many of you would be honest today and say you've forgotten something sometime this week? How many of you would be honest and say you can walk in the kitchen and have to think twice about why you walked in there? Come on. Come on, somebody. I just need to feel comforted right now. <clears throat> I've had people tell, oh, you're too young to forget. I, you can say what you want to say. Proof's in the pudding, baby. I'm just telling you. That's the way it works. What I love about the Holy Spirit is not only does he help illuminate and bring light and help us to see what we need to hear from the Lord, but then he also reminds us. You ever, you ever had one of those moments in the mornings where you read something in Scripture and later that day, whether it's in your own life in a situation or whether it's talking with someone else, and all of a sudden what you read that morning comes back to your memory? That's just not you taking your ginkgo biloba. That is actually the work of the Holy Spirit helping you remember the truth of God's Word. And more than ever... There are millions of voices who are trying to speak into your life and you've got to be able to discern what is the voice of God? What is the voice of the Holy Spirit? What is the voice of truth in my life? Listen, everybody's a YouTuber these days. If you've got a phone, you can turn it around and make a video. And what happens is that access has given everybody a platform to tout whatever their opinion is about whatever the subject, including the Word of God. But the Holy Spirit comes along and works in your life and helps you to align to the Word of God, not just to man or woman's opinion, and He helps keep you cornered in the Word and focused on Jesus in your journey in life. And when the enemy comes against you and tries to tell you you're worthless or that you're still guilty in your sin or that you're never going to amount to anything or that your past is too big for God to love you and to forgive you, the, the Word of God will be alive in you and the Holy Spirit will bring back to your remembrance, I am a child of God. I have been bought with a price. He is faithful and just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I am walking and His Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, the Holy Spirit will bring that truth so that when you face the lie, you can reject it and instead embrace the truth of God in your life. And you can debate me all you want, but the truth of Scripture says that there's a real enemy who is out to destroy our lives. And I do believe that he'll try to get some lies into you. He will try to speak to you. He will try to tell you things that are not true. And you've got to have truth. And you've got to have the help of the Holy Spirit to remind you of that truth. I love that the Holy Spirit helps us to remember God's Word. Bring it to our memory. The Holy Spirit helps us in prayer. Romans chapter 8, verse 26 and 27. I tell you, there have been times in life I either felt like I didn't know which way, which direction to pray. There have been times in life that I was praying for someone and I didn't feel like I knew the perfect will of God for whatever that situation was. And so I, I was trusting that God, God heard the prayers even if I was limited. That There are moments where you're prompted to pray for people and you don't even know why. The Holy Spirit helps in all of that. 
Romans chapter 8 says, and the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Stop right there. Uh, If you want a good sentence sermon for the promise of God in our lives, it's that God promises the Holy Spirit will help us in our weakness. I don't know about you, but I recognize every day I'm weak on my own. I don't have it all together. I don't have it all figured out. None of us do. We need the help of God. We need the help of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, for example. So notice the Apostle Paul in his writing in Romans 8 is saying, for example, this isn't the only way, this just happens to be one of the ways. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Let me summarize it for you. I believe the Holy Spirit can help us to know how to pray in English. And I believe the Holy Spirit can intercede through us in a language we may not understand, but it's in perfect harmony with the will of God according to Scripture. That the... Have you ever heard somebody pray and you thought, man, I wish I could pray like that? Anybody? Well, we don't have to be, here's the beauty of it, we don't have to be perfect in our prayers. We don't have to get the words just right. It's a matter of communication with God. And when the Holy Spirit is communicating through us, it is the perfect prayer in perfect harmony with the will of God. That's why in Scripture we're encouraged to pray in the Spirit, to pray in this other language, because it's intercession of the Holy Spirit through us. And He helps us to know how to pray. I've heard incredible stories through the years of global workers all over the world finding themselves in crazy, dangerous situations. And on the other side of the globe, God would wake someone up, even within the United States or wherever, and they would begin to pray not having a clue of what was going on. And later come to find out it was the same time that someone's life may have been in danger or may have been sick and needed healing or may have needed wisdom. The Holy Spirit helps us. He goes leaps and and bounds above what we could do on our own. He also produces fruit in our lives. Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 23. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of ranger, uh, ranger, <laughs> outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Pause. Okay. How many would say that this description fits a lot of what we're seeing play out in our world today? Okay. So, so let me give you kind of a, a way of understanding. Before Jesus... We're living in this one circle, if you will, called flesh, or the the sin nature. We're all born with this sin nature problem. Aubrielle just turned two years old this week, and I can promise you she's got a sin nature. I know you don't think so, and I know all of y'all think she's got the best smile in the world, and she's just the sweet pumpkin pie. I'm telling you, she has a sin nature. She likes to hit her sister. She gets frustrated when somebody takes something that she was playing with. All of my kids are that way. They ain't perfect little angels. I'll tell you, I'll be the first one to tell you that they're not perfect little angels. They're beautiful, but don't let them fool you. Just kidding. They're really great kids for the most part. But they're kids. But there's evidence early on, even in those kids' lives, of, of our tendency as human beings to fight for what's ours and to be selfish and to have this sin nature that's focused only on ourselves. And before Jesus, we're living in that way. And so we do whatever gratifies ourselves. It's, it's the sexual immorality, the impurity, the lustful pleasures, the, the chasing after the things and the possessions and sorcery and jealousy and anger, just free-for-all kind of way. Well, when we come to Jesus... We enter into a different way of life that is now being led by the Holy Spirit. The challenge is these circles kind of overlap. You still have this flesh we've got to contend with, and yet you're trying to grow to live where the Holy Spirit is dictating more of life than what your flesh is. That's why John would say of Jesus, he must become greater and I must become less. That's why the gospel writer Luke, Dr. Luke, would say that if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, Jesus actually said it, Luke wrote it down, if we're going to be disciples of Jesus, we've got to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. Here's what I love about Luke's writing. This is captured in other gospels, but Luke adds one little small word that makes a big deal. He said, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus, you're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. It's an ongoing battle. 
And we've got to learn to lean into the Spirit and let the Spirit allow, uh, control more of our lives and lead us and us to allow Him to work and die off. Because if we're living in these things, there's evidence that we've got some room to grow. Or there's evidence if we've, if we've given ourselves to those things completely that maybe we're not even following Jesus. There's a difference in following Jesus and still being human and never achieving in this life sinless perfection. We're not going to do it. In fact... Uh, the Apostle Paul would write in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, I am confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of our Lord Jesus. The premise there, and you can capture so much in that one verse, he who began a good work, salvation, will carry it on, sanctification or becoming more like Jesus, to its completion, which is when we go to be with Jesus and we're transformed to be like him. Are you with me? I know I'm moving really quick for you today, but hopefully you, you can go back and listen to this on the podcast if you need to. The, the point being that he's doing this ongoing work, and there's a difference in following Jesus and having moments where we stumble and recognize we're still weak in our own power, right? There's still temptations to deal with. There's still the flesh to contend with. There's still this ongoing battle. There's a difference in following Jesus and wanting to follow him and wanting to follow his ways and wanting to pay attention to his word and still not being perfect versus I'm choosing to totally ignore the word of God and do my own way of life or do what the world is teaching me about life and deliberately disobey and choose not to pay any attention to God. There's a difference in those paths. Hopefully you understand that. So what Paul is saying in Galatians chapter 5 is if you're living in these lifestyles, he says, let me tell you again as I have before, that anyone living this sort of life, anyone deliberately living in these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's in there. I didn't write it. It's there. But then he goes further. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Now, you may do a random act of kindness to show love towards someone else. But if you're ever going to come to a place where, like Jesus, you can hang on a cross and pray for your enemies, it's going to be the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you're ever going to be able to come to a place like Jesus taught, where you not only pray for your enemies, but you actually pray blessing over your enemies? It's going to take the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It will not be your flesh, your natural default. If you're, if you're going to live with joy, it's going to be the work of the Holy Spirit. Because the things around you are going to change constantly. Have we not seen that play out in our world? If you've lived long enough, everything you've seen has changed at some point. We change, people change, things change, the economy changes, the weather changes, everything changes. I mean, we were 88 degrees like three days ago. Right? I was thinking about playing golf. You can tell. And here we are, it's like three degrees outside. Not really, but there's snow on the ground again with, with blades of beautiful green grass poking up from underneath to remind us that spring is coming. Things change. Happiness can change with circumstances. You got a promotion at work, your favorite at work, things are going well in your neighborhood, your kids acted right at school today, so on and so forth. Joy is an inward work of the Holy Spirit that is alive and well and at ease with the Lord and filled with a smile because you know you're right with God even if things on the outside are going kind of crazy. There's a difference between joy and happiness. And the joy, the true joy, that's just a couple of examples we're never going to live up to this on our own. It's the Holy Spirit at work in our lives that wants to produce this kind of fruit. That in our interactions with people and in when we face things like temptations, that we can truly stand firm and live for Jesus. <laughs> Talking about self-control, it's, it's the help of the Holy Spirit that keeps me from going to Cold Stone to get ice cream this afternoon. I've already thought about it today. I'm serious. I know what you're thinking, but wait a minute. It's like 11 o'clock in the morning. I get it. It's a problem. First step to solving a problem is to admit you have one. I can admit it. That cheesecake with graham cracker crust ice cream or that cake batter with pecan ice cream, I can eat a love it size all day long, baby. It doesn't bother me at all. The Holy Spirit helps us have self-control. And you say, well, that, it's just ice cream. Is, is eating food not part of that? 
The Bible actually goes far enough to talk about gluttony. That's not a sermon we preach very often, is it? There's no point in me walking the treadmill if I'm just going to eat a bunch of ice cream afterwards. Right? That's, that's a simple, laughable example. But the point being, the Holy Spirit can help us to have that proper restraint, that, that limiting of ourselves to not step into things we shouldn't, to not go the direction we shouldn't, but to keep us with almost like guardrails in a curvy road of life, to keep us on the right path, focused on Jesus and following his word. He also gives us courage and boldness. Acts 1.8, but you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This whole idea that we are to be representatives of Christ in this world, and the Holy Spirit gives us the courage and the boldness and the power to do that. Maybe, maybe you're like me, and at some point in your life, you've, you've been shy about walking up to some random stranger and starting to talk about Jesus. Or maybe you even struggle to talk, talk to the people you know. And, and you're feeling like, man, if I bring this up, Easter with the family is going to be ruined. You know, Thanksgiving, Christmas, the holidays, when you sit around the table, if I talk about any of these things, it's going to be over. Uh, or you know at work, well, man, we got to be careful because they've got certain rules and it's really inclusive and we we got to be careful what we say and what we do. And, and maybe you're, you're struggling in being able to share Jesus with other people and the Holy Spirit is willing to come along and fill you with power to help you be able to have those conversations, to help you to take that step of courage and boldness to help other people know Jesus. I hope you're seeing today, and, and, and I just... I, I don't even feel like I can put it into good words today. All the things God wants to do in your life. This is powerful stuff. Don't, man, don't, don't settle at the kitty table when you can sit at the head table. I mean, don't, don't settle with just, I had this one moment where they gave me a certificate because I got dunked in water and that's it with God. God's got so much more for your life than just that starting point. He wants to do some incredible things in your life. In fact, he says, I'm the good shepherd. John, John chapter 10, verse 11. I'm the good shepherd. And I don't know how many of you know a lot about sheep. And I admit I grew up in an area of farming and things of that nature. But I didn't, by choice, go out and handle a bunch of cattle. And, but I do know this, that sheep are stinky. And they have to be sheared. And they have to be fed. They have to be protected from wolves. There's a lot of different things that a shepherd is responsible for to make sure those sheep are handled with care. And Jesus says, you are the sheep, and I'm the shepherd, and I want to do all of those things in your life. I want to be in this ongoing journey and relationship with you, and I want to protect you, and I want to feed you, and I want to lead you, and I want to prune you to be even more fruitful. I want to grow your life. I want to be on this journey with you and to shepherd your life, and to lead you into green pastures, and lead you by still waters, and to restore your soul. Man. And then, if that's not enough, all of this resurrection reality of Jesus, and what it means for our everyday life, then add to it that the resurrected life with Jesus now is going to lead to forever with Him in eternity. Because Jesus lives, we're going to live. The Apostle Paul said it this way, First uh, Corinthians fifteen twenty two. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. So when sin entered the world, death with it, as a consequence. A few verses later, in in First Corinthians fifteen forty three, our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as nat just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. And then a few verses later, what am I saying, dear brothers and sisters, is that our physical bodies cannot inherit inherit the kingdom of God. These dying bodies cannot inherit what will last forever. But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will all happen in a moment in the blink of an eye when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. And those who are still living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. And our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Let me summarize it for you. Here's what he's saying. If you believe in Jesus... When you got saved, you began living forever. Here, and here's how that's going to look. 
There is an event in Scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. There are other references to it as well that is referred to as being caught away, to be caught up. Uh, We use the term the rapture, which means Jesus' followers being taken out of the world and taken into heaven to be with Jesus. Later they come back riding with Jesus. There's a whole lot of end time stuff that takes place according to the book of Revelation. But initially we're talking about being caught away to be with Christ in in eternity and having a great celebration together. What scripture is teaching us in 1 Corinthians 15 is that if we're alive when that moment happens and we believe in Jesus, we're Jesus followers, then we're going to be caught up and go flying in the air. If you don't like heights, I trust the transformation will take care of that. That's all I know. Somewhere between my feet on the ground and my eyes in the clouds of glory seeing the beautiful perfection of heaven, my body's going to be changed if I'm living when this moment happens, and it will be totally transformed to be like Jesus after his resurrection. Those who are dead in Christ, and what that means is those who, when they died, they were believing in Jesus. The, body, the Bible says that, that when they were absent from the body was to be present with the Lord, so their soul has been actively, consciously present with the Lord. Their dead, decayed bodies are going to be raised and transformed to be brand new spiritual bodies for eternity, reunited with their soul and be with God forever. And here's the cool part. Those bodies then will have no more pain, no more suffering, no more sorrow, No more death. My wife and I have been trying to work out a little more lately. That's a loose term, but we've been trying to work out a little more lately, walk a treadmill, maybe lift a few weights, do a few things, eat less cold stone. And and I got to tell you, first couple of times I got on that treadmill, when I got off, I wondered how many years I had gained through some deep portal I didn't know I went through while I was on that treadmill. Because I ached, I hurt, my hips were... I started to think, am I going to need a walker to go out of this? Like, what's going on here? Because you start recognizing things hurt and pains come that you didn't know came before. Like, Like, I pick up my kid to just play with her and all of a sudden now my lower back hurts. Like, what's going on here? This didn't used to happen. I hate to say it, but from the day we were born, we kind of were dying. There's this reality that this life is not permanent. This afternoon, I'll be a part of a funeral service. And I can tell you that over and over again, from a baby that was born and lived for only eight seconds to someone who's a hundred and some years old, everything in between, there's an end to this temporary thing called life and this temporary body that on the outside is decaying and weak and struggling. But there's an eternity coming when none of that will exist anymore. And we will live forever without any of those troubles. All because of Jesus. Listen, I don't know how to convey this any more than this and I'll wrap up with this thought. Jesus died and rose again to change your life. This is... This is not about just celebrating last weekend. This is about what does God want to do in your life today. And and it's not just about what God wants to do in your life today on a Sunday or even just on a Wednesday night in an adult Bible study. What does God want to do in your life when your eyes open on a Monday morning and it's hard to not hit that snooze button one more time? Yeah, I got a witness in the back on that one. When I get home during the day, I take off my watch This is one of those older Apple watches. I lay it on my charger because at night I put it on and I wear it so that my alarm goes off on my wrist rather than on my phone so I don't wake up the rest of my family. But I got to tell you, there's something about this human nature that I can hit snooze in my sleep and not even know I touched it. It's a terrible thing. But in that moment that it's tough on a Monday morning, in that moment when work didn't go just right for everybody, in that moment when I'm facing a situation I didn't know I'd face, in that moment when there's a crisis, in that moment when the world is shifting around me, in all of those moments, that's when the resurrection power is real. That's when Jesus wants to be alive and well in our lives. That's when we can learn that God is faithful and God will strengthen us and God will keep us and God will carry us and God will lead us and God will be with us and He'll never 
never leave us. There's so many things that we can learn. Resurrection is not a weekend. It's a life. It's a life. I want you to live that life. I want you to know the reality of what Jesus has done every day of your life, not just on a Sunday, not just on a Wednesday, not just on a particular weekend. I want you to know that power in your life every day. It's in in your relationships. It's in your marriage. It's in your parenting. It's in your work. It's in your neighborhood. It's in every situation. God wants to do incredible things. If you're in the room today, would you stand with me all across? If you're online, I'd love for you to take a moment and respond with us as well. I just have to believe that there are some people, maybe even in this room today, that you are in agreement with me to say, God, I want you to do even more in my life. You've got so much more you want to do. You've got so many more things you want to show us. You've got so many incredible ways you want to lead our lives. We want you to do that, oh God. So today we're inviting him to do that. So maybe you're inviting him for the first time. Maybe you're saying, you know what, I've I've never made a decision to follow Jesus, but something about this life, it doesn't sound like I'm never going to face any trouble, but it sounds like it's a different way of living. It's, it's the promises that God Almighty, the creator of the universe, wants to work in my life. I want that. Maybe you're recognizing there's more to this Jesus. There's more to Scripture. There's more to the work of God than, than just a religion for, for what people would say or for weak-minded people. It's more than just a story that's been made up to tell. Maybe you're recognizing today, man, there's more to this. And you're wanting to decide to follow Jesus today. Today's the day to do it. Or maybe you're here today and and you kind of feel like you're in a stagnant spot, a a spot with your relationship with the Lord. You've had that salvation moment. You've you've confessed your sin. You have made the decision to follow Jesus. And you're doing that, but you recognize, man, there's some areas of my life I need God's help. I'm not able to navigate this on my own. My thought life, my inward tension, my work, my family, my my financial, my, my situations, whatever they might be. Today you recognize, I need the help of God. And you're saying, wait a minute. He didn't die just just to forgive me of sin. He died so that there would be greater power living in my life. I want that. He wants to help me in every day, in every area of my life. I want that. I want that power. I want God to do great things in me. I want to be transformed. I want to be shaped by God. So we're inviting Him to do that. I'm going to ask our prayer team members to come. If you're in the room today and you're part of our prayer team, would you come and make yourself available? And I'm going to pray over you in just a moment. Pastor Nick's going to lead us in a, just a moment of worshipful response. And I'm going to challenge you that if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus and you have questions and you want to talk with someone, you want to pray with someone, there are people here today who will help you to do that. If you're today wanting to experience more and more of God and you just want to just make your life available, God, whatever you want to do, or, or maybe it's a specific area in your life, Lord, I, I need you to work right here in this place in my life. Can we just be active in inviting God to do in us what only he can do? Can we, can we be active and intentional to take a step towards God and say, God, I believe you. And I don't just believe you for salvation, but I believe you want to keep working in my life. I believe you want to keep doing some incredible things. I believe you want to keep shaping me. And Lord, like clay on a potter's wheel, I will put myself on that wheel so that you can shape my life. So that as a shepherd, I'll be the, I'm the sheep. Lord, guide me, lead me, protect me, show me the way. Lead my life. I'm going to pray for you. And I just challenge you today to take some time here in the next few minutes to respond. Father, thank you so much for your word. And God, I I don't know in, in this one message that I can even capture how wonderful it is to walk with you, Lord. And how many wonderful promises you give to us. You're with us. You want to guide us. You want to work in our hearts and minds. 
you want to work through us to even help others. God, there's so many things we could say. So many scriptures that we could look to today of your promises. And we know that your word is guaranteed. Lord, today I just simply ask that each and every one of us would open our lives up and ask you, oh God, to do incredible things in us. That we would all be active inviting you to continue to transform and shape our lives. That we would believe in you not just for salvation, but for the ongoing work of your power in us. That we would truly get a picture of a relationship with you like we've never understood it before. That you invite us to to that fellowship with you, that that intimacy with you, O Lord, that you invite us to be on this journey of hearing your voice and, and knowing your guidance and love and care. God, that we would step into a depth in relationship with you like we've never known before. Thank you, Lord, that you still turn graves into gardens, that you still do this great work in us. I pray today, Lord, that you would bless and keep this people. You would make your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them. May your countenance and your favor ever be turned in their direction and may you grant them your peace. And in these moments, may there be some some dead places in life that come to life by your power. May there be some places in life that, Lord, are, are just filled with your glory and your presence. Lord, may there be people, God, who just invite you and experience even now your wonderful work in our lives. We give you praise for today in Jesus' name.